Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final part of season 3 on A Christmas Carol. Emotional, I know, but as soon as Christmas Carol is metaphorically put to bed, we are going to move on to The Sign of Four by Arthur Conan Doyle, which I have to say, I'm researching it already ahead of time and it has been an absolute nightmare, so I am looking forward to sharing my pain with all of you. straighttalkingenglish.com, S-T-R-S-T-R-8 Talk English on Twitter is me. As I've said, I am Catherine. And of course, the last thing I am going to plug is the book that goes along with this part of the series, A Christmas Carol, The Full Context, which is available now on Amazon in a paperback copy or Kindle version. So now the context books which are available are full context of Jekyll and Hyde and the full context of a Christmas carol which I've got to say is really really exciting so if you are enjoying this then please 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 buy the book and then you can enjoy it in your own time and just imagine my dulcet mockney tones narrating it to you. So let's talk about reactions to the whole book of A Christmas Carol because we're supposed to talk about readers' responses if you do your GCSEs and the whole thing is a little bit weird. I've always had a problem with the concept of reader responses because the way I react to things is different to the way other people react to things. I made such a rookie error in my NQT year. I asked a young lady in year eight, how does this make you feel? And she goes, I don't feel anything. And I'm like, okay, but like, what, what's he trying to make you feel? And she goes, no, I don't feel anything ever. So while I might find Tiny Tim a little bit nauseating, you might find him appealing, or that girl in my year eight class might have literally no reaction. But I'm gonna talk a little bit about what the reaction was that Dickens wanted to have, and some reader reactions that we can actually verify though of course remember whatever your own reaction is is completely valid you do not have to agree with me or any of these people so christmas carol comes out dickens decides to put it in a lovely gorgeous little book it's got a green cover it's got these lovely colored pictures drawn by um quite a famous illustrator at this point and he's going for the uh, the gift market, the Christmas stocking market. And absolutely, bestseller. Completely flies off the shelves. Absolutely brilliant. Problem is, because he insisted on putting it in this format and not his normal format of, like, an extended magazine, he lost loads of money. Basically, he was having a dispute with his publishers. He was in some financial straits. He decided that he was going to solve all this with this cash grab, stocking filler book, and just had a really terrible business plan. He did all work out well for him in the end. He managed to pay everything off. He ended up in a good position. But he considered the first run of Christmas Carol, despite the sales, to be a failure. Some reviews that came in, though, at the time, a gentleman with the surname of Jeffrey wrote 
to Charles Dickens and said, Blessings on your kind heart. You should be happy yourself, for you may be sure you have done more good by this little publication, fostered by kindly feelings, and prompted more acts of beneficence than can be traced to all the pulpits and confessionals since 1842. Well, that's awesome and if we're debating this religious thing i mean this guy jeffrey seems 100 percent sure that this is a religious book it's a whole religious thing cool the writer william makepeace thackeray of vanity fair fame was also a critic and a journalist and generally a talking head at the time and he said who can listen to objections to a book such as this it seems to me a national benefit and to every man or woman who reads it a personal kindness oh so lovely and those are some verifiable reader reactions like it's nice he we're also talking about feelings readers feelings and again it's a bit awkward because putting yourself in someone else's shoes is quite difficult i mean i don't know how you're gonna feel about something you don't know how i'm gonna feel about it but he wants us to feel something dickens sees christmas as an intentionally intensely emotional and sentimental time he wanted us to feel the power of christmas deep in our guts and when i was scripting this because um all my episodes are semi-scripted like i have uh, a series of points to talk about and when i decided i was going to say that line i got um badlands by bruce springsteen stuck in my head something chronic smash it in my guts man and now i'm just like on a complete springsteen trip and problems man dickens considered it imperative for readers to experience a sensation of sentimentality in literature rather than explain it away he wants us to feel a sentiment to feel a warmth to feel a nostalgia to feel something deep inside to have to be moved this experience was moral and civilizing and designed to allow people to live harmoniously in an increasingly discordant society while modern critics are often suspicious of this idea it remains that civil and ethical codes in western society are still reinforced as a means for upholding good feeling between people putting them at ease by disabling unpleasant feelings dickens is intent on reminding us of such codes as well as being concerned to teach us ways of reading them he encourages us as readers to interpret the world through its emotional content training us to do so by providing readers with literary scenes fueled by sentimental feeling if we then choose to critically and historically analyze those scenes rather than experience the feeling within them we miss their sensual expression and turn sentimentality into something else and that's kind of implied that it's um turning it into scientific analysis this feeling of nostalgia is interesting as well because this book is designed to give us a nostalgia problem is it's a nostalgia for something that doesn't necessarily exist so both 
Charles Dickens and Washington Irving, the guy that wrote Sleepy Hollow, were kind of obsessed with this thing like that's an old English Christmas. And we play into this a bit now as well. So if you think like Downton Christmas special or any kind of like Christmas special where it snows and like, you know, everyone's gathered around a roaring fire. I don't mean the EastEnders one, by the way. Like, that is not a nostalgic Christmas. Oh, yeah, slight diverse fact, by the way. So in Queensland, in Australia, they show EastEnders. It's a couple of months behind. So they get the dramatic Christmas death in, like, (laughs) mid-March. And I still find that hilarious because just like, you know, we've got this massive lead up to like, you know, some generic Tuesday in March. But he's nostalgic for Christmas. But it's a Christmas that don't exist. So we'll talk a little bit about Washington Irving. He's kind of Dickens' brother from another mother from America. He wrote this fake travelogue called Old Christmas in which the narrator goes around whimsical traditional Christmas villages and writes about it. He said, it is a beautiful arrangement also derived from days of yore. Also imagine I'm saying this in a Boston accent that this festival which commemorates no I can't even do it the announcement of the religion of peace and love has been made the season for gathering together of family connections and drawing closer again those bands of kindred hearts which the cares and pleasures and sorrows of the world are continually operating to cast loose of calling back the children of a family who have launched forth in life and wandered widely asunder once more to assemble a about the paternal hearth, the rallying place of the affections, there to grow young and loving again among the endearing mementos of childhood. Yeah, that's that's not how Christmases work. (laughs) Stop you there, mate. But when we're thinking back to a nostalgic time, a time where everything was good, we've got to think about where Dickens is coming from for his nostalgia. So Dickens is a country boy, grew up in Portsmouth, I believe, and Chatham, Rochester in Kent before moving to London. He's thinking back to the countryside of his youth, but also think the time he is growing up in so dickens was born very very early 19th century we're talking pre well pre a lot of industrialization he's trying to evoke memory for a time before factories came and ruined everything this idea that before industrialization before the city became polluted and full of crime we had something really really beautiful in the country the other reaction that it had was from the public and it really cemented dickens's reputation as i mentioned before he ditched his wife and got with a 16 year old which I'm, I'm just saying I'm just saying if I knew a year 11 was getting with at that point a 47 year old man I mean I'd be I'd be having some discussions I'd be calling some people's parents I'd be you know I'd be having a lot of chats but 
even though he did his best to conceal this reputation, to conceal the potential scandal of him hooking up with this beautiful girl called Nellie Turnan, word did get out. He took control of the narrative and he released this statement that's like you know a bunch of stuff has happened and we're all gonna remain friends like the uh chris martin gwyneth paltrow consciously decoupling even though it was potentially scandalous his reputation survived you'd have thought that he would be severely judged but he it gave him this whole thing of christmas carol gave him this reputation of being christmas personified the reaction the public had were to associate this man with christmas and it gave him this solid reputation that pushed him through the rest of his life the historian claire tomalin who i love by the way her biographies of dickens and robert louis stevenson have formed so much of the basis of my research she said dickens wished to be and was generally worshipped the word is not too strong for someone who evoked comparison with christ at the time of his death as a man of unblemished character the incarnation of broad christian virtue and at the same time of domestic harmony and conviviality the jolly domestic part of his reputation had been acquired young through his early novels and his notably exuberant and hospitable family life it had been crowned by his christmas stories and was never dislodged the other thing to consider in terms of reaction which is genuinely quite difficult for us to do in 2019 is to think about its legacy in terms of the media so we have seen we have all seen versions of this i mean think about it's a wonderful life where which is by the way is one of my favorite christmas movies where the angel shows james stewart what it would have been like if he'd never been born think of the movie scrooged which is the bill murray slightly suicide related 1980s update muppet christmas carol every year on bbc and itv there will probably be something involving a theme of this and it's really difficult for us to separate the text and the narrative from what's built up for us so i watched muppet christmas carol oh my god like every year since it came out and i tried to get my boyfriend to watch it this year but instead we had a movie marathon entitled alternative christmas movies including one of the michael keaton batmans the one with the penguin is quite hardcore on christmas so when you look at this book try and see it as something separate from the other versions try and see it as something which is got more of a polemical style more of like a rallying cry wrapped up in sugar like the best comparison i can think of is them sour skittles got sweet on the outside someone trying to introduce a bit of sour in the middle the sweet and sour of course refers to scrooge i can't believe i haven't mentioned this yet redemption the power of redemption because dickens was so involved with urania cottage one of the other legacies is the idea that you aren't ruined forever 
especially women. So once you had done something bad, you were a fallen woman forever. And this is the book that tells you, actually, you can change. And now, 2019, I'm recording this, we believe people can change. You know, if you make the effort, you can change. But this is new. This is interesting. So reactions, the belief in redemption, the story, Dickens's reputation, the finances, the great reviews. You know, this this is a landmark book, yet a lot of the scholarship doesn't really cover it. So when I was trying to find like serious scholarly articles on this, it sort of skipped over it. And you get writers writing about Chuzzlewit and David Copperfield and just kind of skipping over everything else in the middle. I've got to say, I came round to Christmas Carol. I was struggling at the start of trying to research this, but it has all come together. And I love it when a plan comes together. So, drum roll. Woo! The next book I am going to be covering is Sign of Four by Arthur Conan Doyle. It is the second outing for Sherlock Holmes. And it's not a choice that a lot of schools make for GCSE. But I am prompted by the fact that one of my students, she is tackling it. And I completely had this out of the blue. And I was like, what? Sherlock Holmes? Really? I'm thinking quite a few people might be in the same situation so I am going to be talking us through the sign of four. I have started researching Arthur Conan Doyle and I'm warning you now there is a lot of racial and imperial things coming up in this in this next bit. I am psyching myself up all oh my days. So I shall bid you adieu. God bless us, everyone. I shall part from you with a minor dread at having to cover sign of four. Why do I do this to myself? StraightTalkingEnglish.com, S-T-R-A-T-T-A-L-K-E-N-G-L-I-S-H on Twitter. And join me very soon for the absolute horrors of the life of Arthur Conan Doyle.